part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Perhaps one of the greatest joys in life is parenting, and yet one of the greatest challenges is, is parenting also. Because it involves people that we love, and there's highs and there's lows. There's times of great celebration, and then there's times of, of great frustration. In our young family life group this morning, we we're talking about marriage, and that, you know, one of the things I try to clearly establish when, in a, the pre marriage counseling is okay, you're marrying a sinner, and guess what? They're marrying a sinner too. And when we have kids, it, it really is one of those realities. It doesn't take long for us to, to figure out that we just gave birth to sinners. And it doesn't mean that they're evil in the sense of, you know, diabolical, this and the other. It's just that in that nature of sin, there's going to be a selfish nature. There's going to be a nature that kind of pointed towards self. And this is going to cause frustration over time. And so this morning we're going to go back. This is kind of the third of three that we've talked about, just purposeful parenting. Started a couple of weeks ago when we had our parent-child dedication, and we looked at Hannah, and we just saw that there was very much a purpose. And she said, "Okay, if you give me the gift of being a parent, then then I'm going to give you that that child right back, and he will be used for your purposes." And then we began to look last week as we looked on Mother's Day, and we looked at Moses and and his mother, and and how uh, he grew up in a time when really the law said, "Okay, he should be killed," because the Pharaoh was afraid of the Jewish people becoming too numerous. And yet in faith, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that in faith, Jochebed, his mom, said, no, I'm going to trust God with your future. Well, this morning we're going to go to Joshua chapter 24. And it's probably one of the more familiar phrases out of the Bible. You know, we have John 3.16. We have a lot of different phrases. When you hear that, people just say, okay, yeah, I know that. And maybe even you have this somewhere in your home, cross-stitched or on a plaque or something, about choose to stay whom you're going to serve. As far as me and my house, we're going to, choose the, we're going to serve the Lord. And, and we may have that. We're probably very familiar with that. But this morning we're going to kind of see how that plays out in this whole purposeful parenting. You know, one of the great joys of, of ministry is that uh, you have a lot of kids in ministry. Carly and I were able to attend a graduation at UGA uh, last week, or a graduation party after the graduation, and uh, several of our former students were there. And two of them were just, we were so excited to see them, and they had graduated with honors, and magna cum laude, and all this. And so you're just proud of their accomplishments. And yet when we began to see what God was doing in their life, and I'd already known some of this, but when they began to spell it out, you began to see their eyes just come alive. One of the young ladies, Brooke, uh, graduated magna cum laude with a special ed degree in teaching, and she would have done great at that. And yet uh, she feels a calling at First Baptist Watkinsville right up the road. She was in their college ministry, and she's going to be a part of their staff now and come on staff with them. I could not be more excited. And then we were talking about a young girl, Aubrey, and then she goes, Bobby, guess, guess where we're going? And I don't know if you're familiar with Southern Baptist and some of their missions programs, but there's a missions program that college applicants can go spend two years on the mission field. It's called the Journeyman Program, and she's going to be a journeyman, and she's going to Tokyo, and she was just so excited. And guys, I can't tell you, you know, there, there's a lot of frustrating days in ministry. Uh, there's a few frustrating days in ministry. But there's days like that that you're just going, you see the passion in the hearts 
of the next generation of leaders. And you just see that, you know, that the church is in good hands because it's in the hands of Christ, but that he's going to call out and raise up leaders for future generations. But that does not leave us of wondering, okay, what about our future generations? And it's one of those things that is an appropriate concern. What about our children? Are they going to love Christ passionately? Are they going to follow God? And so this morning we're going to go to Joshua chapter 24. I mentioned one verse with you last week. This is one of my favorites, and it means more now that I'm a granddad than it did before when I was just a dad, and that's from Proverbs 13:22, when it says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I briefly told you last week that had really nothing to do with money. It's not that, okay, a good man will leave a million dollars to his children's children. That would be a good man, especially if you're that children's child. You know, it would be a, a great thing. But really what it's talking about is the spiritual context there, that, that making impact on the life of your children in such a way that even though they have to make individual decisions for Christ, nobody comes to Christ through their parents, grandparents, or that. But the influence that is just laid out, as we were saying, paved the road so wide that it's almost impossible to get off that road. And that a good man does that in such a way that it makes impact on his children to the point where the grandchildren are just almost going to follow that same path. It's a wonderful passage, but there is no guarantee there. Again, let's be theologically correct. Each one of us have to come to Christ and surrender to Christ individually. We're never adopted in in the sense of just because our parents were Christian that we become Christian. No, every one of us will come to a place where we make that decision. And so one of the concerns that we have as parents, if we really love Christ and if we really want the best for our children, is, okay, what is the spiritual nature of our children. Will they grow up to love Christ? I know that was a concern that Carly and I had for our two girls. And there was days that we were going, man, this is really working out well. And then there was days we were going, what did we do wrong? And if you have kids, especially as they go through the teenage years and different times like that, when you kind of see the hot and cold like we all did, you know, there's going to be times that you're going to be sitting there going, okay, yeah, I think we did something right by God's grace that they seem to at least love Jesus pretty well. And then there's going to be other days that are going, okay, somehow we have really messed up this little human that we were responsible for, for uh, raising here. So we want to go back and, and we want to see, okay, what is it that really probably is the biggest indicator, that's not the appropriate word, the biggest thing in the life of of us as parents that's going to influence, the biggest influence that we're going to have on our children. And I hope that last week you saw that it's not that you come up with the best plan, okay? How much of the plan, if you were here last week, did Moses' mother come up with? She came up with one part of the plan. And it wasn't even just an obedience to God. She goes, okay, you know, he's getting old enough now. I, I can't keep him here. They're going to come and they're going to take him. They're going to murder him. So I'm going to put him in a little basket and I'm going to put him in the Nile River. That was her part of the plan. But all of a sudden, her plan got amplified by God's plan. God had, just coincidentally, had the Pharaoh's daughter come out to those bulrushes and, and see this little baby come down. God's plan had that Miriam, Moses's. Uh, sister could come along and said, you know, do you need somebody to take care of that baby for you? God had as a plan that 
Moses' own mother would then be hired to come and nurse that child and raise that child in those formative first years. And I hope that the one takeaway that you have from that is that it is not upon your shoulders to come up with the perfect plan for your kid's salvation. Now, that's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God. It is the wonderful call of God. And that doesn't mean that we don't make plans and that we don't live on purpose. What it means is that we just live by faith. And here's that biggest indicator, the biggest influence. I've read statistics. I've seen it in, in thesis, doctorates, you know, from the seminary, this and the other. And I've seen it in my own ministry the last 37 years. The biggest indicator of your kids following hard after Christ is the passion that they see in your life toward your Savior. Not your knowledge. As much as I believe in church attendance, and I think that that's a really big thing, that we just, we, we prioritize that we are worshipers and that we come together and that we just, you know, that we get together on Sunday and that we worship together. Those are really big things, and I think that we need to carve that out, especially in a society that doesn't want to carve it out and say that this day is a holy day, that we carve that out. Those are really big indicators. But the biggest one is, what is the authentic passion that you have for Jesus Christ? I've always thought that one of the best illustrations of that was, you know, some of, these, uh, some of the folks that are really, really deeply passionate about their football. And that, uh, you know, if you're in UGA football, and you just, you know, from the time that baby came, I mean, they came home from the hospital with a UGA preemie outfit on, you know. That's my boy right there. Yeah, he's going to play for the dogs one day. You know, you just, you just have this passion about, or it could be the Clemson Tigers. Okay, I did see that, Julie, okay. But you have this passion, and you have this amazing thing. And you're going, all of a sudden, it's not surprising that all of a sudden your kid, you know, at Christmas time, what do you want? Well, I want a couple jerseys. I want this, that, and the other. Because they call your passion. They call what you're passionate about, and more times than not, they just kind of start to reflect that. Same is true when it comes for our passion for Christ. Not our knowledge of Christ. Even though we should be very knowledgeable about Christ, we should have good theology. We need truth in our lives. But God's not going to say, okay, you know, because you only got a 69 on your theology test, your kids are not going to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. But I can promise you that if you build a home around the beauty of the gospel, around the beauty of your passion for Christ, that your kids can't help but see that, find an attraction to that, they can still reject it. I, I know families that have passionate believers as mom and dad, and yet children, at least to this point, have still rejected Christ, seemingly. I still trust and believe that, that maybe one day God's going to soften their heart and they're going to come back to that. Again, there's no guarantee because it is a personal decision. And yet at the same time, if you want to say, okay, how can we kind of hedge our bets? And I don't know if that's a good theological term to use there. But how can we really kind of stack everything? And that is that we would just have this passionate love for our Savior. That's kind of what happens in this case in Joshua chapter 24. If you notice, it's the last chapter of Joshua. Joshua is actually the one that follows Moses as the leader. And this is after they've come to a place. Um, the Israelites are at a crucial place of the history. Moses died, but then he rose, uh, God rose up uh, uh, Joshua there as the leader. And uh, he, he brings them to a place where... 
Um, they're in the promised land. They've inhabited most of that land. They've been able to kind of drive out a lot of the people that lived there before. All these Ite people, the Canaanites, the, you know, and all the Jebusites and all those people, and they've kind of driven out, and now they're living in the promised land. And yet they've come to this place where now it's time to really start having children in the promised land. This is their home now. And so what's going to be their future? Well, years ago, probably one of the most impactful sermons that I heard as a young man was uh, by a guy by the name of Bruce Wilkinson. And a lot of people know it as the three chairs. And he preached from this text. And it's, I've probably heard now 50 different preachers preach from this text using three chairs and that kind of illustration uh, because it is so impactful. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. But basically what these three chairs represent in this passage and in Judges chapter 1 and 2 is three generations of people. Joshua lives in one and he's about to die. He's getting older. He's over 100 years old. I think he lives to 110 I think it says, and, and so he's, he's getting older and he kind of knows it. And so he, he gathers all the people together and he kind of gives this, not a farewell speech, but kind of this, you know, okay, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. So look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 1, and it gives us the context. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the, the heads, the judges, the officers of uh, Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So he calls all the leaders together. And then he goes, if you follow on, we're not going to read all the verses that follow, but if, he basically goes over a little bit of Israelite history. Okay, here's how God has been faithful in all these things. He talks about how they were captive in Egypt and how God brought them out through Moses uh, and how they, he opened up the Red Sea, and all these different things that had happened. And he goes all the way back to Abraham and Isaac, and he tells them of the rich, rich heritage and history that they have as the people of God, this called-out people. And he does that not just so that they can have information for a history test. And all of this, he says, I, I want you to know that God did this. Look at verse 12 and 13. Go down to verse 12 and 13. He said, I want you to know that it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you land. Now, this is, he's speaking for God. This is the word of the Lord. So uh, hear it as if God is speaking to these people. I gave you a hand on which you have not labored and cities on which you have not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. In other words, he goes through this whole history and he says, okay, here's where we are now. We're in the promised land and we're actually living in houses that a lot of us, we did not build. We're actually getting the fruit off the land that we did not plant these orchards. In other words, God's grace has provided for us. This wasn't just the fruit of our own effort. That's a good sermon right there, guys. We are so driven in our society to provide, provide, provide. I get that as a husband. I get that as a father. I, I really get this whole sense of provision. And yet we need to be reminded that, you know, oftentimes it is God's grace that has just been that provisional arm for us. He's the one that gave us the job so that we could get the paycheck, so we could go to Publix or to Kroger and buy the groceries and provide for our family. No, it sounds rather simplistic, but forgetting that God is the one who is giving grace and providing that, 
leaves out such a foundational part of that whole story. So he goes through all this, and then when he finishes, look what he does in verse 14 and 15. This is where we get that, to that very, very famous verse. Verse 14 first. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him. How? He mentions two things. In sincerity. Okay, does he say, okay, know all the answers to every theological question that there is. Does he say that? They say, so, okay, I just gave you a whole bunch of Jewish history. I want to make sure that you can have all this knowledge. Do you say, okay, you're going to get God's blessing because you have all this Jewish knowledge? What does he point to? He points to two things, guys, that he says, look, here, here's the things that are really going to count in your relationship with me, and especially as you raise your family. And those were sincerity and faithfulness. Just being authentic. Just loving Christ well. And being faithful to follow in that path. So he points to that. And then look look what happens. He said, put away the gods of your fathers. Serve beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. In other words, he said, some of you are not compelled to do that. Some of you are not going to follow God. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell now. And basically he says, okay, look, not just their fathers, because they'd been in captivity, captivity for a long time. But he said, basically, if we go all the way back in your spiritual, or in your heritage, uh, if we go way, way back, there was a time that your parents, grandparents, great, 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 great grandparents did not follow God. They, they worshiped these other gods. He said, now some of you also, now that you live in this new land, this promised land, You've kind of taken on kind of the desires and kind of the, the mentality and the attraction of some of the people that lived here, and they were not following God. In other words, he says, guys, when you come down to this place of how you're going to live your life, you've got some choices there. Now, would you agree that in this day and time that we live, that there's actually some choices about how we would, what we would serve in our lives? I mean, we, we can serve, I know this sounds so... Um, typical, but we could serve money and things. You know that, I mean, it's, it, is it not easy to fall into that trap even as parents just to provide well materially for your children? I mean, it is for me, I'll admit it. We want to make sure that, you know, they didn't have to have the new car, they didn't have to have this, they certainly didn't have to have, to have the $130 jeans. Here's your $20. If you want that, you better come up with the other 110 because here's your $20 for jeans. And that's exactly how Carly did handle it. And so it was one of those things that we wanted to provide well for them, but it didn't mean that, okay, we're just going to get you anything that you want, but we wanted to provide well. And certainly there's a temptation for us to put a lot of focus on just that provision of making life easy and good for our kids. And there's nothing necessarily evil about that except that was, if that was our main push. See, we live in a day that's very much like this, even though this was thousands of years ago. But would you say that there's an influence of society around you that is not always aligned with your own parental values? Yeah. That's what he's talking about when he says you come into this land, and some of you are actually taking up some of the things that the people of the land do. And they don't have a background. They don't feel about God the way that you feel about God. And so he kind of explains, okay... I'm going to show you one path that I want you to go down. And I know the path that I'm going to choose. 
But he said, I realize you've got many choices and many paths you can go to. And, and I'd be foolish this morning as a pastor. So this is the only path you have. I can tell you the wise path. God can show you the wise path, what the right path is. But in reality, there's a lot of different ways that we can raise our children. Look what he says there in then verse 15. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my home, my house, we will serve the Lord. He, he takes a leadership position. He says, okay, here's everything. I'm, as a leader, as a father, as, as a husband, here's what I'm establishing for my household. We choose this path. This will be priority for us. We see four components of that. Number one, we see a choosing. Choosing involves a decision. Making spiritual impact involves choices. It's not automatic. Your kids are not... How many of you are convinced already that your kids do not automatically just grow up loving Jesus? I mean, we wish that, it, you know, we just wish that because we went to church and we have a devotion every once in a while that our kids would grow up and go, oh, man, can we go to church again? I know it's Monday, but can we go to church again? But, but we're already kind of proved that there's times in our lives that our kids can be quite passionate about Christ. And there's other times that they're not passionate whatsoever. And they would do almost anything besides wanting to go to church or study or have the family devotion our prayer time, roll the eyes. And we were the exact same way. And so what we begin to see here is that there's a choice involved. The second thing that we begin to see is that the, this decision, this choice is personal. He said, choose for yourselves. No matter what spiritual background you have, you have the opportunity to know and to follow God. Some of you could go back in your family tree today and say, my mama knew Christ. My grandmama knew Christ. My great-grandmama knew Christ. And you can go back and you can point to granddads and grandparents and all these other people that not only were Christians and followed hard after Christ, but they prayed for you. And you can say, man, my spiritual heritage is really, really thick. That family tree goes on for a long time. It's like a redwood. And others would be in here this morning and said, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to plant the seed. I do not have a spirit. My mom and daddy did not follow after Christ. They followed after this or they followed after that, but they didn't follow after Christ. And, and I'm kind of the first one and, and you know, that wants to start a generational kind of thought and a mindset. I, I want to be that great-grandmother one day that my great-grandchild said, you know, yeah, my great-grandmother prayed for me to come to know Christ in an early age. Man, who, who wouldn't want that? And yet what we see is that it's a choosing and it's personal. As influential as the church is, as influential as uh, Pastor Jeff is, as influential as teachers are in the quality schools that we have around here, do you realize that, that 83% of the time of your children between birth and 18 is spent under your influence? Or at least at home. 
only a small percentage at school and even a smaller percentage, a very, very small percent at church. And that's even if you're frequent at church. So it's a choice. It's a personal choice. You have to choose for yourselves. And you have to choose this day. It's a timely decision. When you do a relay race, are you a track guy? Yes. Yes. If we were, you know, if you were on the track team with these guys and these were, these were the leg of the, the, the track team over here and you were doing that, you know, let's say that it was uh, the 1600 where you're going around, four, each person is doing one lap. And you'd have this baton and you would go and then it's your turn, Charlie, to, to take it. And, and there's only this short place between here and here that you can pass that baton. You can't run 600 you know, yards, and then he only did 200. You know, there's a, this little thing, okay, here's where you have to give them the, the next guy that's in line, the baton. And so it's a timely thing. You don't do it. You're disqualified. The patience of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God will extend until our last breath. And yet, please hear this. Knowing that that a person can come to Christ at 99 years of age. That can happen. There's a time frame when the tenderness of our heart, it just kind of, you know, there's a time that we can have great spiritual influence in our kids. And I'm not saying that we won't in in our 50s you know, when they're 20 or 30 sometimes, I'm just saying, when your kids are young, you have this potential in this time when you're handing this baton that you can say, okay, this is how much I love my Savior. And that your authentic passion can really come through. Uh, Jeremy said that we've uh, showed this video before. Some of you may have seen this before, but uh, this guy, he, he decides to... Uh, take a picture of his kids once every month. So this is the oldest one. This is Zoe. He didn't do a whole bunch of redecorating during those times. This is the little one. This is Ava. The thing that changes most if you look at this video is all his Xbox games right up there. Those changed quite a bit during this time. This is kind of neat to notice. Sometimes they're holding hands. Other times, don't you dare touch me. Every parent can relate to that. This is my sister. Another time, you are my worst enemy. Now, in reality, in reality, you know, he took one picture. He compiled it together. In reality, do I have to convince you that life travels that fast? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that our kids truly go from this little toddler and all of a sudden we blink, Rache, and then all of a sudden it's like, what? A high school? 
And all of a sudden, you know, they're not doing toddler things anymore. And now they're young men and they're young women. Because it's a timely thing. Choose this day. This day. Whether this was your commitment yesterday, a week ago, or a month ago, that you can say, this day. Maybe I got a little bit of a late start, but I want my children to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And so this day, I'm not going to say I'm going to be a perfect saint. That's impossible. I can't be you know, a saint, but I can sure begin to really love Christ and, and follow hard after Christ. I just want that for my life, and I want that so it can be an influence in my children's life. What we see last there, he said, can you make a decision? It's a timely decision, and it's a decision... Not if you will serve, but whom you will serve. Every one of us are going to serve something in our life. We're going to serve a job. We're going to serve family. We're going to serve, you know, our, our own pleasures. He said, you, you make a choice. You will serve something this day where you serve the Lord. So what did the people do? Joshua is maybe 109. Maybe he's all the way up to 110 at this point. He gives his speech to all the leaders. He kind of puts it out there. He gives the whole Jewish history, God's grace, his call upon their lives. And he says, okay, basically, guys, this day, this is who I'm choosing. This is my house. We're going to choose the Lord. You choose who you want to. What did they do? Look at verse 16. And then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Well, that's the right answer. And then they go on to repeat the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 17. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did these, those great signs in our sight and preserved in all of us the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. Verse 18, And the Lord drove out before us all the people, the Amorites who lived in this land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. They kind of get it. They go back and they see the hand of God, the tracing of God's grace in their life. They repeat that back. Hey, we see that God has been instrumental in all this. And so we make a choice today. And our choice is that God, we're going to follow God. And that would be great if the story ended right there. And that was really kind of the end of it. For the most part, that's what I thought was the end of the story. I told you about Bruce Wilkinson, that, that pastor back in the 80s and 90s, and how he talked about there was three chairs and three generations. Well, if you follow this story, it, it goes from this high point where they said, yes, this is, this is what we're about. Man, we, we choose God, and we're going to choose that for our family, and we're just going to be passionate about this. But look what happens. Look down at verse 31. All during Joshua's life, and the elders' life, they pretty much followed God. But then in verse 31 it says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, and had known all the work that the Lord did in Israel. Why they were alive, they kind of towed the line. They kind of followed God. But it went from a heart knowledge and this passionate following God to a head knowledge. And they would know some of the information, but they did not have this heartbeat for God. Well, Pastor, what happens after that? Well, if you notice, again, Joshua chapter 24, that's the last chapter in Joshua. What's the next book of the Bible? Anybody know? Judges. Look at Judges chapter 2. 
verse 10. Now, now we're three generations out, okay? Joshua's generation, the people that he kind of compelled, they went from kind of a heart knowledge, a passion for God, to more of just a head knowledge. They certainly didn't say we don't believe in God, but it just wasn't passion. They were kind of going through the motions. And then look what happens in verse 10, chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And all that generation also gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. It's three chairs. First chair, Joshua, his contemporaries. And I, I choose, this day I choose God. Me and my house, we're going to follow God. Their children, once they die, and, and the next, all that kind of generation dies out, and there's another generation there. The second chair, you get there, and all of a sudden, it's not that they just kind of rebel against God in the sense that they don't believe in God. They become atheists or something like that. They just don't follow passionately after God. It's, it's just more kind of a tradition that they have. So that by the time you get to that third chair and that generation that is removed from Joshua twice now, this is some of the most tragic words in all the Bible. And they knew not God. You can't force your children any more than you can force the rest of your family to follow God and to love Jesus. One thing that Jeff and I in our staff meetings repeatedly say, well, you can't make them love Jesus. Because we tried. <laughs> and sometimes you just can't make them love Jesus. And so it's not your responsibility to make them love Jesus. Here's your responsibility, parents. I, I don't want to put a heavy weight on your neck. Again, remember, it's not your plan and you coming up with the perfect plan. It is the grace of God. But this is your responsibility. And this, I do think that it just needs to, to sit squarely with us. That the greatest influence in your children's life will be your passion for Jesus. And if it's something that is just kind of religious activity, they will see it as religious activity. And maybe a generation, again, by God's grace, God can save anybody and he can call out anybody. But what we see is, okay, all of a sudden, that that fever that was there is no longer there. And there's very much that opportunity to have a generation that knew not God. Don't want to put it all on your shoulders because, again, that's taking away the theology of personal choices. But I just want you to know at this time, this time that goes really, really fast, guys, just love Jesus well. Love Jesus well. doesn't mean that every Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, we will have family devotions. Yeah, that goes over really well. You will show up. <laughs> Sackcloth and ashes, you know. <laughs> I just love them well. Just love God well. It also means one other thing. Let me give you one thing that we didn't always do really well with our children, but we tried to. Share spiritual stories in the family. Do you notice what Joshua did? Hey, remember Abraham, Isaac? And he talks, starts talking the history. Hey, remember when, when God opened up the Red Sea and we were able to come out of Egypt, but Pharaoh's army, they got swallowed up in that Red Sea? Tell spiritual stories. Share with your children God's faithfulness in your life. 
Now, again, there's some adult things that you need to just keep adult things. But make it frequent that you're sharing with your, hey, I was having this trouble at, at work. Man, also we got this boss that I just didn't really like. And I began to pray about it. And, you know, God softened my heart. And some, one day you, you might have a, a boss that you're just not going to like. You had a job you liked, and all of a sudden they changed this, and you're just not going to like it anymore. And here's what I found out, that I just started praying about it, and God changed my heart. Share spiritual stories. But in order to share a spiritual story, kind of guess what matters there. Sorry about that. That you have a spiritual story. Just walk with God, guys. Just walk with God. Love Him passionately. And it's not a guarantee for your children. I promise you, there, there's not too many kids that grow up, go dogs, go dogs, and all of a sudden, when they're 19 years old, they're rambling wrecks from Georgia Tech. It just don't, you know, it, it happens some. But we follow the passions, and we learn passions from our parents. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, I pray that this has been heard in the right light. Father, I would never want to put a weight upon parents and grandparents that somehow we're responsible for the salvation of our children when it is, Father, you're calling upon their lives and it is a personal decision. And yet, Father, we are the main spiritual influences that you use. And so, Father, I I want to be that good man that leaves an inheritance to my children's children, that they just would love Jesus well because they would see passion in my life and Carly's life. Not perfect people, but passionate people. Sinners who have been redeemed because they found a glorious Savior. So help us just to share that good news and that we share it in the car when we're going to school, we share it at the table, when we're about to eat, we share it at bedtime, when we're discussing the frustrations and the celebrations of the day, that we would share our story of your faithfulness to us so that our children would say, choose this day whom you will serve. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We love you, Father. You're so faithful. We love you. We pray this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.com dot corner dash stone dot org or find us on Facebook.